choked on my own spit. You ever do that? Yeah. I guess it's better than choking on someone else's. So. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, what a great day to kind of finish up full day. We still have some time tomorrow, but last full day to be with each other and uh, all kinds of great things going on. Uh, in a previous session, I uh, gave a nod to the chess master, Robbie, and I would be amiss if I did not also give a nod to the queen of checkers, Emily. Yeah. So, I just want to say right now, don't, don't let her cuteness and her innocence <laughs> fool you. She'll pounce on you. And, uh, you know, it's been years since I played, and she came, oh, would you like to play? And sure. And, and she was giving me tutorials as we were going, which was nice. Uh, but there was one moment in the game that as we were going, and I, you know, I was being overwhelmed, there was one, I, you know, I actually, boom, I, I got one of hers. I felt pretty good about myself at that moment. She goes, oh, no, no, no. She put it back because I had, you know, there was an error. She says, look, boom, boom. I could take two of them. And I thought that was so kind. I said, <laughs> wow, well, thank you. And she goes, yeah, great. Boom, and she took my king. <laughs> Which I thought was a good. So I thought that was fitting for our session tonight, free to forgive. I'm still working on that. So we'll see where, where, how we land on that. Uh, please, if you haven't already, turn to Genesis 50. So we're, we're going all Old Testament on you tonight. The beginning of beginnings. But we're actually going to the end of the beginnings of the beginnings, as that is. Uh, that's on page 56 if you just happen to have the exact same Bible that I do. So, <laughs> I'm guessing that's probably not the case. But Genesis 50, and we will be focusing in on verses 15 through 21. 15 through 21. And we'll set it up a little bit, right? We've got a huge narrative here that covered several chapters. Please stand with me uh, once again in honor of the Word of God. Um, it really is in the honor of the Word of God because we're hearing. If you hear nothing else, we're, you, you know we're going to hear the Word of God because we're going to read it right now. Genesis 50, that's 5-0, verse 15, 1-5. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said... What if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father charged before he died, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, Please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But, but in contrary to that, right, Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God 
meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Lord, as we come tonight and really kind of bringing, uh, for the most part, our, our week together of what it means to be free in Christ, or at least some aspects of that. Lord, this is such a, a, a very practical, very crucial element in the life of the Christian, and one that uh, we will never get beyond, and we will never get past needing. And Lord, we no doubt will find ourselves on both sides of this issue, perhaps tonight, perhaps tomorrow, the weeks to come, months, years to come. And as we are in Christ, as we are free in Christ, may your spirit even now <coughs> reveal and plant deeply the seeds of that which we will need to carry us forward, to bring us peace, to be peacemakers, and ultimately to bring glory to our Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Won't you be seated? Have you ever daydreamed of being a hermit? Not a hermit crab. That would be weird. But a hermit. Sorry, I've seen some of your pictures on Facebook. Maybe that wouldn't be weird for Jeff. Uh, but the idea of getting away from it all. I don't just mean you know a vacation. Just need to get away from it all for a week or so. But I mean, getting away from it, being by yourself, not having to worry about the complications of life, of relationships. Perhaps a mountain man like Jeremiah Johnson, right? Getting away, live off the land, or at least somewhere where I don't have to worry about anyone else except myself. Away from the craziness away from conflict. Uh, I imagine hermits do so for, for various reasons. Maybe to avoid pain. Uh, various kinds of pain that, you know, for honest, life uh, can be full of. Uh, there's a, an old Simon and Garfunkel song. Again, I'm probably speaking to about three of you here. Uh, that if you listen to all these stations, you might hear every once in a while. And it's got a nice tune to it, as most of their songs do. They have some nice harmonies, right? They're really known for their two-part harmony. But if you listen to the words, it's such a depressing song. I'd like to share that with you this evening. <laughs> it goes, it doesn't go something like this. It goes exactly like this, because I have the lyrics in front of me. It says... A winter's day. Already you know it's going to be dark and gloomy, right? It's a winter's day. In a deep and dark December, I am alone, gazing from my window 
to the streets below on a freshly fallen silent shroud of snow. I'm a rock. I'm an island. I've built walls, a fortress deep and mighty that none may penetrate. I have no need of friendship. Friendship causes pain. It's laughter and it's loving I disdain. Don't talk of love, but I've heard the words before. It's sleeping in my memory. I won't disturb the slumber of feelings that have died. If I never loved, I never would have cried. I have my books, my poetry to protect me. I am shielded in my armor, hiding in my room, safe within my womb. I touch no one and no one touches me. I'm a rock. I'm an island, and a rock feels no pain, and an island never cries. Someone who's decided, I don't want to feel, I don't want the issues of relationships, engaging with people, I'm just going to retract and be on my own. You know, you can do that whether physically or just emotionally, seek to protect yourself. Because relationships, all the different kinds of relationships, friendships, marriage, um, relationships within the body of Christ, they can be messy. They will be. Because even among redeemed people, we're still sinners. So we're going to hurt each other. We just are. And in Genesis, we see a lot of mess going on in this particular family. Joseph's family, right? With Abraham. And you, we see this cycle actually throughout Genesis of conviction, repentance, change, conviction, repentance, change. We see this cycle over and over again. And tonight, what I hope for us to do with our time together is to look at four principles regarding the power of forgiveness. Biblical forgiveness. Now, before we start just looking at some of these, a quick summary, just to remind you of how we got to where we we are tonight in Genesis 50. We are at the the end of Joseph's life. You can, you know, if you want to jump ahead to verse 22 on, you see he's going to die at the end of this chapter, at the end of Genesis. And if you remember, right, uh, he has 11 brothers. Most of them are older than him. He's got one younger brother. But he's he's daddy's favorite. So much so, right, dad gives him this coat, many colors, which was a symbol of, hey, he's not going to have to go and do all that hard labor like his brothers. He gets to kind of be pampered. And not only that, but it would have been an expensive coat. So, I mean, Dad's really kind of lavishing him with it. He has some dreams that kind of lets him know, hey, you guys are going to bow down to me. And there may be, if we read between the lines, maybe some pride issues with with Joseph. Not only does Dad love him the most, but he kind of knows him, and all the others do too. The brothers see an opportunity to get rid of this dreamer, this pain, this thorn in their flesh, so to speak, I guess. 
They said, first they're going to kill him. But one of the brothers said, well, let's not go that far. Let's just put him down in this hole and have lunch. <laughs> Which they do. And as they're sitting there, you know, eating their tuna fish sandwich, they see a caravan coming by. They said, you can make a couple bucks on this. We'll sell them. Never see him again. So off he goes. And they tell Dad, your, your, your beloved son has died. And they, I mean, imagine, they know the lie. And what do they see? They, they see the father grieving. Imagine what's going on in their mind. Oh, man. Well, he'll get over it eventually. Off goes Joseph. Things seem to be going pretty well for him. Well, Time out, no, he's going to be falsely accused, put into prison for something he didn't do. He's going to be there in a while, kind of cooling his heels. I believe that's a time that God's using to shape him and mold him into the man he's going to become. Eventually, he gets out of jail, and he is elevated to very high position. He's going to be second only to Pharaoh himself. And eventually, as you know, right, he goes to this whole uh, situation where his family eventually comes. There's this bringing back together Joseph and his brothers. Everything's great until Genesis 50. And the patriarch dies. And as we read, the brothers are terrified because they assume Joseph has only been kind to us because of dad. Now that now that dad is gone, there's nothing to keep Joseph from getting revenge. So they concoct the story. Let's tell him this is what dad said. Even though dad's gone, we can still use his memory to keep Joseph at bay. And that's where we're at with this story. In it, we get a beautiful picture of genuine forgiveness. And not just why we should or how we should, but the glories of forgiveness. And what forgiveness can do in your life and in the lives of others with whom you have a relationship. We need to begin with really the foundation of forgiveness. And that is our first point this evening. The power of forgiveness begins with God. The power of forgiveness begins with God. The foundation of forgiveness is set in recognizing, and if you don't get this true lasting forgiveness, will never rest with you. In recognizing that God's hand is in all of life. The good and the bad providences. The good things in life, God's behind it, and even the bad things in life, God's behind it. All things pass through God's hands. If you look in verse 20, we've, we read it, but Joseph has this great, profound, deeply theological statement, as for you, you meant evil against me. You are responsible, brothers, for what you did. You chose to do so freely, but God meant it for good in order to bring 
about this present result, to preserve many people. He says, look, if you had never done what you had done, I would still be out there with you guys, not here in Egypt, during this time of famine, that God used me to make sure that there's going to be enough food for everybody during this time of famine. This was all in God's plan. We see something very similar to this in Acts. Acts chapter 2, when Peter gets up, day of Pentecost, Peter, this now, Simon is now Peter. He's Petros. He is the rock at this point because the Spirit of God has come and filled him. And this is the first sermon after, the, uh, after the, the Spirit has come. He says, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God. God has shown you. This is him with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. So Peter's saying, this was all part of God's plan from the beginning. You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Does man have responsibility for his actions? Yes. Does God use even sinful action to bring glory to himself? Yes. Both of those things are true, and we need to keep both of those things in mind and keep the tension of those there. Allow them to be, because they are what they are. And the basis for authentic forgiveness is in the forgiveness that we have received from God. We read in Matthew 6, Christ saying, forgive, uh, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, right, the, the Lord's Prayer, and do not lead us in temptation, but deliver us from evil, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. And it goes on, and if you forgive others for their transgression, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your heavenly your father will not forgive you your transgression. This isn't like a little checklist. He's just saying, this, this is the nature of forgiveness. If, if you're willing to receive forgiveness from God, but not extend it to others, he says, you, you don't have that heart of forgiveness. In Mark uh, 11, beginning in verse 25, whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgression. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgression. Here you are standing before God seeking his forgiveness. Where is your heart? Right? Uh, back in Matthew 5, Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, so you're the one who's the offender, leave your offering uh, there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. This is why if you've been around Grace Bible Church for any length of time, you have heard when we're doing the Lord's Supper, they'll say, hey, you know, take some time and examine your heart. And, hey, if there's something between you and a brother here or, or someone else, hey, you know, refrain from taking right now. Make sure you've been reconciled, at least you've attempted to be reconciled with that person, and then come and celebrate the Lord's table. But don't make a mockery of the table as if, yeah, I'm all good with everyone as far as I know. If you knowingly have something, someone's got something against you or you've got something against them, take care of business first. 
And in Luke 17, it says, Be on guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. I have a hard time with that one. On the same day, I've got someone who comes to me seven times and said, I've sinned against you. Oh, I've sinned against you. After a while, you start, you know, I know what I would be thinking. Okay, how sincere could his, you know, apology really be? I want to see some evidence here. He's saying, forgive. Have a heart that forgives. Why? Because we've been forgiven. It's, It's a reflection of God's forgiveness towards us. With the forgiveness rooted in God and not in fickle humanity, both parties are set free. Free from that sin that has broken that relationship. So it begins with God. It begins with the forgiveness we've enjoyed from God. It begins with the fact that we realize that God is behind all these things. Not the creator of the sin necessarily, or at all. But he is the one who is bringing about good even through that. Secondly, the power of forgiveness, and this is what we've been saying all week, sets you free. It sets you free. Having been forgiven by God, you are free to extend forgiveness to others who have offended you. You are free to leave the matter with God. Look at what he says in verse 17. Joseph, realizing that the brothers, right, are like, okay, we'll be your servants. Please don't hurt us. Joseph says, do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? The implication is, hey, if there's going to be consequences here for what you did to me, that's between you and God. I'm not out for you know, revenge here. I'm going to let God take care of that. So he's, he's, in a, he's predisposed to forgiving them. Forgiveness frees the offender from the guilt and the shame of their offense. So there's a freedom on both sides. I'm not having to get revenge. And if I'm the one who's being forgiven, you've taken that weight off of me from having to carry that guilt. The brothers clearly still carried that weight so many years later, right? In verse 15, when they're like, dad's dead. What if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pay us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? They're not denying that they have sinned against him. They knew that they had sinned against him. That's why they're terrified. But when Joseph is able to say, you're free, you've been released from this, the weight comes off. Uh, A biblical counselor from many years ago, he was kind of like the granddaddy of biblical counseling back in the day, Jay Adams. Uh, I heard once uh, in his early days of working in counseling, and he was working, I believe, in an institution of those who were having uh, mental struggles. His assessment was that a vast majority of the people dealing with mental health issues 
could be healed if they only knew they were forgiven. If they truly knew that all this weight that was crushing, that, he said, was at the core of why they were having issues in other ways. And if they could just know that has been lifted, that there would be other healing that could take place. It would set them free from that. And forgiveness frees the offender from the fear, as we see here, right, that the other person will bring it back up at some point or that they, uh, that they would might be reconciled conditionally. Yes, I will forgive you if. Rather than I, I forgive you. I'll never bring it up again. That's the pattern of God, right? God says, when he says, I remember your sin no more, it doesn't mean he has a mental lapse of, wait, wait, when, what, what sin are you talking about? No, it's like, hey, this is never to be held against your charge again. Young people, I can tell you right now, and I'm assuming most of you will get married one of these days, maybe not all of you. That's going to be an issue in your marriage. In relationships, it, it just is. When one person says, I forgive you, and then, you know, six months later, they're saying, well, remember back when you, time out. That's off the table. You said that's no longer an issue. That's true biblical forgiveness when that's no longer held against someone. You're not going to play that card at some other point. And look what he says. He says it actually twice, verse 19 and verse 21. Joseph says, do not be afraid, right? Verse 19, beginning of 21. So therefore, do not be afraid. Clearly they were afraid. And he's, and he's having to talk to his brother. Isn't this amazing? That he's the one who's bringing comfort, the one who was offended, who, you know, I mean, they did terrible things to him, right? He set him up for terrible things, things that he had gone through. And he says, let me console you, brothers. Don't be afraid. I'm not going to bring this up. I'm, I'm not going to hold it to you and make, you know, and if you slip up, well, then maybe I'm going to bring it up again. Dear friends, forgiveness frees you from bitterness, from hatred, from an ongoing desire to get revenge. When you've, when you've released it, it's gone. It's, it's, it's not holding anything between us. When there's truly, and then we're going to talk a little bit more about, well, how does that actually play itself out? There was that moment in that most recent Batman movie, The Batman. And those of you who've seen it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you've seen any of the Batman movies, it's kind of like a James Bond moment where every James Bond movie almost starts the same way, right? When he's first introduced, most of them, he comes in, you know, looking all suave or whatever he goes, Bond, James Bond, right? You know that. I mean, it's going to be, it doesn't matter what actor, they're all going to say that. And starting with... Michael Keaton's Batman from 1989 when, you know, he's, he's beating up some bad guy and he goes, you know, who are you, who are you? And he goes, I'm Batman. Right? And you, you see that in these movies, you know, he's beating up some guy and he goes, you know, who are you, I'm Batman. He doesn't say that in this one. 
And that's what it kind of, whoa. Right? He's beating up some guy and he goes, hurry, hurry. And he goes, I'm vengeance. This is a different Batman. And that really is a big part of the movie. Why? Because this is a Batman who's still trying to work out who he is. And so much of who he was and is was vengeance. He really was. And he was trying to, how do I process this? Forgiveness sets you free from that kind of heart of saying, I need to get vengeance. I need revenge. You need to pay for this. I'll forgive you, but first you need to pay for this. Was that me? <laughs> man, that never happens to bad man. Because <laughs> he's got millions of dollars to spend on equipment. <laughs> He probably uses one of those headsets. So So it sets you free. It really does. It sets both the offender and the offended free. And that's the beauty of genuine biblical forgiveness. Third, the power of forgiveness heals. And you can see there's going to be an overlap here, clearly. It heals. It first can heal the wounds of others. To share a very personal story, I'm like, you wouldn't know these folks anyway, but in another church setting where I was pastoring, straight out of seminary, and man, you know, I knew it all at that point. I I had the piece of paper hanging on my wall to let everybody know that I knew everything and how to do everything and how church should go. Years later, I was no longer at that church because I didn't know everything and how everything ought to go. And as God was working in my own heart and looking back at, quite frankly, how a pastor, Pastor Tony, had wounded me, and I was dealing with that, I realized, whoa, wait, I wounded these folks in a similar way. Different, but similar. So the Spirit of God prodded me to go to these people, who I hadn't seen in quite some time, and said, can we have coffee, sit down for a meal? And I said, I need to ask your forgiveness. I know that I hurt you as I was your pastor. I wounded you, and I, I need to ask your forgiveness which they readily gave, but they needed that to begin healing from the pain that I had caused them. They never held it against me. They haven't held it against me since, but they needed that to begin the healing that was there. They were free now to begin that healing. Notice in verse 21 we read that he says, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you. I mean, this is wild, right? Not only is he going to forgive how he's going to be on, he says, not only am I not going to hold it against you, but I'm going to do good for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. There's comfort that was brought. 
in the midst of this extension of forgiveness, and they found healing in it. Again, I, I would say there's healing for both. If you're someone that has been offended, been sinned against, let's call it what it is, by someone else, and you're able to extend forgiveness and that there's a reconciliation there, all that bitterness perhaps or hatred or just hurt that you've carried can, can be healed. Ernest Hemingway. Do we have anybody who's read uh, much Hemingway here? A few of you. Okay, good. We've got some readers here. Um, he, he wrote a short story called The Capital of the World. And the story revolves around a father and his teenage son named Paco. And it's set in Spain. Now, Paco apparently was an extremely common name in Spain at that time. And with Paco's desire to be a matador, because, I mean, really, who doesn't want to be a matador? Uh, and to get away from his father's control, Paco runs away to the capital, Madrid, in Spain. And that's why it's called the capital of the world, the, the, the short story. His father, wanting to reconcile with his son, follows him to Madrid, but, you know, it's a, kind of a big place. And he puts an ad in the local newspaper with a simple phrase. This is what it said in the paper, according to Hemingway's story. Dear Paco, meet me in front of the Madrid newspaper office tomorrow at noon. All is forgiven. I love you. Hemingway then writes, quote, the next day at noon, in front of the newspaper office, there were 800 Pacos, <laughs> all seeking forgiveness. People desire to be forgiven. We have been forgiven. If you're, if you're a follower of Christ, you have been forgiven. Because at some point, by the Holy Spirit, you were shown your deep need for forgiveness because of your rebellion, your sin against God. And oh, what a glorious day that was. To know his grace, his mercy, to know forgiveness. Such it is with human relationships. And this is, connects us with our fourth and final principle so we began with the power of forgiveness begins with God. Secondly, it sets you free. Third, it heals. And fourth, the power of forgiveness reconciles and restores. Reconciles and restores. This is the ultimate goal. Relationships made right. It reflects on our mended relationship with God, right? First and foremost, that is the core, that is the foundation of it. And then it works out in our relationship with others. Keep in mind, in this relationship with God, who was the offended party, so to speak, he's the one who initiates 
right? The, the one who is offended is the one who initiates this reconciliation. I am happy to say that in that example that I gave you early with this, this couple from previous ministry opportunity, there was a restored relationship. The one who was the most offended uh, within the couple was, was the wife. And you, I mean, if you could have seen just immediately, as I spoke, they didn't know why I wanted to get together. But as soon as I was saying, I, I need to ask you to forgive me, oh my goodness, this, before she just looked hard. She's a hard woman. And then all of a sudden, just softened. And now we can speak kindly to one another. And there can be a restored relationship. Having said all the things that we have said, allowing yourself to love and be loved means you risk being hurt at some point. That's the nature of human relationships. To love and be loved means there's a chance that you might be hurt. But you have to ask yourself, what's the alternative? It's Simon Garfunkel, I am a rock. I I shield myself from any kind of meaningful relationship. I hide away, I retreat into my aloneness. I'll never be hurt, I will never cry. I'm on my own. God clearly made us for relationship. Clearly. I'm not, I'm not just saying marital relationship. I just mean relationship with others. He's made us for that. He, he's never designed, right? His, as, as being human, we were never designed to be by ourselves. Now, there may be time where you, have, where, where you find yourself solitary, but that's not the design. Relationship with God and relationship with others. As we kind of draw this all together, there is, I guess we would say, an age-old question. Can you forgive someone who doesn't seek forgiveness? Can you forgive someone who doesn't forgive Uh, doesn't seek forgiveness? The answer is yes and no. Let's pray. No, I'm not going to leave you hanging. (laughs) It's yes and no. (laughs) The yes part is you can be settled in your heart to extend forgiveness. I'm talking about when you are the, the, the offended party. They have sinned against you. You can be predisposed, ready. Yeah. I've been waiting for this day. I'm ready to forget. This is great. Right? You can be settled in your heart to say, I, for, I forgive you. My brother, my sister. I, absolutely. Right? However, the no part is forgiveness is something that must be given and received. The point of what uh, of forgiveness is reconciliation, 
which is goes both ways. It has to be a reconciled relationship. God says, you're a sinner. Be reconciled through my son. There's the forgiveness offer. Have you been forgiven? You must say, I seek forgiveness for there to be that reconciled relationship. Now that can be tough. But I will say this, if you're the offended party, being predisposed and ready, that in and of itself will be healing. It really will be. It's not as sweet as having that reconciled relationship. But you've already given it over to God at that point. Saying, I'm ready. I'm ready. You likely know the, it bears reading though, you likely know the the parable recorded in Matthew 18. And it tells us a lot about forgiveness not forgiving. Matthew 18, beginning in verse, well, we'll begin in verse 21. Peter came and said to Christ, Lord, how often shall I forgive my brother against me? And I forgive him up to seven times, which was beyond what Jewish law said you were supposed to. It was supposed to be three times. Jesus said, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven Again, that doesn't mean 490 times. It means countless times, without measure. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wishes to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents, the, the, the number is supposed to represent something he could never in a lifetime pay back, way beyond anything he could ever do, was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and children and all that he had, and repayment to be made that way. So the slave fell to the ground, prostrated himself before, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. He doesn't just say, Please forgive the debt. He just says, Give me time, please. I will do everything in my means to make it right. And the Lord of the slave felt compassion. and released him and forgave him the debt. Huge debt. Gone. Just the opposite of what he deserved, right? He deserved to be sold and his family sold so that the king could get at least some of his money back. But the slave went out. The very one who owed this huge amount. Slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him and saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground, began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. Doesn't that sound familiar? But he was unwilling and went through him and threw him in prison until he should pay back what he was owed. So when his fellow slave saw what happened, they uh, were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And this is for us here. 
verse 33, should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? If you're a Christian here this evening, you have been forgiven beyond what you could repay in an eternity. When someone sins against you, sins against me, it's pittance. It's just a little bit. Compared to what we've been forgiven, should we not be ready to have the same mercy and grace towards someone else? the very same grace and mercy that we've been shown. To, un, to not forgive, to withhold genuine, true, biblical forgiveness is antithetical. It's the opposite of biblical Christianity. A quote attributed to Mark Twain, don't know if he actually said it, but it's attributed to him, says, forgiveness is the fragrance of the violet, that the violet sheds on the heel that has crushed it. Isn't that a great picture? Forgiveness is the fragrance, the fragrance, something sweet, something beautiful, that the violet sheds, gives out on the heel that has crushed it. The very thing that has caused it to you know, be crushed, he's saying, and what's the response? Forgiveness, the, the beauty of forgiveness. Because you have been forgiven, you are free. Free to forgive others with Christ-like grace, mercy, love, and to leave the matter with God. And I would say this just as we, we wrap it up. Perhaps you're sitting there right now and your mind is going with relationships that need to be reconciled. Perhaps you are the one who has been offended. You've been sinned against. Perhaps it's the other way around. Perhaps you are the one who has offended someone. You know it, but you've just been too prideful to go and deal with it, to ask someone, please forgive me. I, I've done this. I'm not going to try to minimize it. I'm not going to call it something else. I was wrong. I sinned against you. I'm asking for your forgiveness. Regardless of which one you see yourself in, the offended or the offender, I encourage you, by the Spirit of God, that you be the initiator of seeking to have that relationship reconciled. Yes, you can even do that as the offended one. I have done that when I mentioned kind of there's this pastor who, I won't say damaged, but sinned against me. And I remember as a pastor telling others, you know, you need to go reconcile. I'm like, hmm, maybe I need to go. <laughs> I'm telling other people they should. Maybe I should. So I reached out to him. I said, hey, I'd like to get together, together with you because I feel like there, there's things between us that's keeping our relationship broken. To which the response was, if you feel you need to get together, that we need to get together so you can feel better, we can do that. You could see where that conversation was going to go quickly, right? I'm the one with the problem, not him. Okay, I've tried. <laughs> and that's what I'm asking you to do. Be the one who initiates. You cannot control the response in the heart of another person. You cannot. 
but you can be the one who goes with grace and mercy or the one who is seeking grace and mercy from someone else. As Scripture will tell us, as far as it be with you, be at peace with all men. Be at at peace with all people. You do as much as you can. You can't guarantee. There's no guarantee that the person's going to respond favorably on either side of that equation. But at least before God, you can say, Lord, I'm going. I'm praying that your spirit goes ahead. There's true reconciliation in this relationship. But ultimately, I'm leaving it with you. And in the same way, I don't doubt that there's some of you in here right now who have unfinished business with people who have passed away. That's a hard one. Because you can't go to them, whether you have sinned against them or they have sinned against you. That relationship can't be reconciled. That that relationship has ended. But you can have a heart that leaves it with God and saying, I'm not, God, by your spirit, I'm not going to carry this with me any longer. I'm going to leave it with you, with your justice, with your grace, and with your mercy and love. And do that. Leave it with God. If you're in Christ, you've been set free. And that means free to forgive and to be forgiven. Let's pray. Our gracious God, and I I say gracious because you indeed have been gracious to us beyond measure. Your mercy was shown that you did not treat us as our sins deserve. Your grace was shown to us in that you gave us the beauty and the glory of Christ. You were the one who initiated reconciliation with us. The very ones who rebelled against you. And our great God, it it would be so easy for us just to blow off these kinds of sins, events, moments that breaches a relationship. And just kind of say it doesn't matter, but it does. And we can hold it, we can hide it deep down, and it can fester for years and just eat away at us. Again, whether we're the one who has sinned against another, one who has been sinned by another. Lord, may we begin at the beginning in knowing that we have been forgiven. And as such, we are free to extend forgiveness to others because we have been forgiven so much. And Lord, we can go in sincerity of heart, knowing that we have been forgiven by our God and to go to others and say, I have sinned against you, I have wronged you, 
please forgive me. Hoping, praying that that relationship would be healed. Perhaps even sweeter than before. But Lord, even in that, if those against whom we have sinned refuse, they reject. Lord, even in that, we are free to leave it with you, knowing that we have sought reconciliation and that we would continue to pray that that would occur where it can occur. Lord, I pray for those here this evening that perhaps have deep wounds from breaches in relationships that cannot be reconciled. That, Lord, that you give them peace even this evening. That you would release them from holding that any longer. That as they have been forgiven, they would forgive others. Where they have sinned against others, that, Lord, there has been a change, and that they leave these things with you, ultimately. And that you would begin that healing process in their own hearts. And as we pack up tomorrow and leave from this place, Lord, that you would allow all of us to take at least pieces of what we've heard this week, of what it means to be free indeed, truly, really free in Christ, no longer slaves of sin. And because of that, that we are free in all these ways that we've seen this week, and even more than what we've seen. And in all these things, Christ would be seen in us, through us, and glorified. His name be praised. Amen.